Hi, and welcome to the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and one of the founders of Einblick Consulting. Our goal is to share inspirational stories, tips, and insights from B2B marketers, digital entrepreneurs, and industry experts that will help you to think differently, succeed, and scale your business. All right. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the B2B Marketers in the Mission podcast, where you get your weekly dose of B2B marketing insights. I'm your host, Christian Klepp, and today I would like to welcome a guest into the show who is, in fact, a B2B marketer on a mission. And that mission is not only to take marketing to the next level, but to also proactively, as he says it, proactively humanize B2B brands out there. So, Mr. Sam Kuhnler, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here and to chat with you about this and finally know someone who has my understands my German background and says the last name as it should be pronounced. <laughs> yeah, it's um yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when I when I saw it, I was um uh, because I spent some time in that region of Germany, uh, mm-hmm. as I mentioned to you like um, you know, for 2 years. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good with like, you know, if I see somebody's surname that has an L in the end, I'm like, yeah, your, your, your family or your roots are in southwestern Germany. And yeah. in any case, Sam, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's switch gears here and uh, get this conversation started. And I can't help myself but to start this conversation talking about something that you posted on LinkedIn this morning. Yes. Um, I, I, I thought it's so appropriate with what we're about to discuss. So I'm going to leave it to you to talk about what you wrote, but I'm going to say this, all right? I, I thought that you ended this, uh, you ended that post um, so beautifully, and I'm going to quote you here. <clears throat> Let me see if I get this right. Business is more personal than ever, and the way to guarantee long-term recurring revenue is by having a brand people want to be associated with. So... Talk to us about why you think that is so important, especially since there's a stereotype that B2B has to be more logical or professional or boring. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So our conversation today was definitely top of mind as I was going through my, I like to try to get a a thought out every couple of days or so. So I was musing on this and staring at my, my water bottle I've got next to me that has a whole bunch of different stickers on it. And it's like, I'll show you Christian right here. You can see it's just, it's coded left and right with different right. brands that I associate myself with. And as I was looking through it, I was like, man, every single one of these stickers is a B2C brand. I spend eight plus hours every day using various B2B marketing tech, God knows what else, tech software programs. And there's not a single sticker that I've got on my water bottle that's from them. And I was like, you know, why do we think this is, you know, what's, what's going on here? It seems like, you know, if we do spend this much time day to day with these B2B softwares that we'd at least want to have a little bit of an affinity towards them. So I was thinking on that a little bit more and I was like, okay, what are the brands from a B2C standpoint that we're drawn to and why are we drawn towards them? So taking some top of mind, I was like, all right, Apple, Yeti, Lululemon, three pretty recognizable B2C brands. And each of those usually bring a pretty strong vision to mind. So Apple, Innovation, Yeti, Adventure, Lululemon, Health and Wellness. Then I was thinking, okay, why don't we align or want to align more closely with different B2B brands? And it's because they're boring. They don't have a personality. They don't stand for any values that we see in ourselves or want to see in ourselves. And that then distilled down to it's, you know, why are they doing this? And I think a lot of it has to do with B2B brands look at their total addressable market. And they're so worried about offending a single person in there that they don't want to turn off any potential buyers or anything else. So 
in order to keep that market 100% intact, it keeps them from offending anyone. It also turns you just into a replaceable commodity. I mean, at that point, you're just one of any software providers that can do word processing or marketing automation or anything else because you all do the same thing. Does it just come down to price or what's the differentiator? Because I'm not drawn to you in any sense of like, I have to work with them because, you know, it's a great product that I align with. So that then carried down into a rabbit hole of a conversation we had a couple of weeks ago where it's, you know, you mentioned like people usually say it's, it's just business. It's not personal, but is more and less, I mean, we're working from home. We're working eight plus hours a day. It is becoming personal. You know, I think that a lot of our day-to-day is slowly blending into it's not leave the office at five o'clock and you can just check out and hang all your stuff up. I mean, you're carrying it around with you. You're in platforms more than ever. So that's what led me to that quote that you said at the end, you know, it's business is becoming personal. And if you want long-term recurring revenue that you can count on, I'm always going to go back to Apple for my next phone because I know they're always innovating. I'm going to keep going back to Yeti because they build great coolers and drinkware and they don't have to worry about me going to a competitor who might be a little bit cheaper, but I understand the value that I'm getting from them. How do we translate that over to B2B where churn rate is such an issue that's top of mind for everyone? How do we guarantee recurring revenue by becoming a brand that's like, well, there's a competitor that can do this for a little bit less, but I have such a good relationship with that platform that it's never even crossing my mind that I would want to switch to a different provider because of the relationship that we've generated. Absolutely, man. I mean, like, you know, you, you brought up so many great points in the past couple of minutes and all, all of which I think I, I, I resonate with. Um, the other thing I would say, uh, which you kind of hinted at, but um, would you say that building that stronger brand for B2B also helps to, um, you, you know, um, develop or create that trust, right? Between the, between the brand and the, and the target market. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as marketers working for companies, people already assume that we're coming at them full of crap for a better lack of term. So yep. if you just keep saying these generalities that they're walking away, like, I don't even know what that means. But if you say something that's real and has meaningful, they're going to be like, okay, there's a person behind that because that doesn't just come out of thin air. You know, someone's thought about that and has empathized with what I do or understands my day to day. People have a really, really good sense of when someone's being truthful and trans like direct honest straightforward however you want to call it versus being buttoned up politically correct because they have to say that thing that their pr rep told them to say so i think that's where it kind of gets into or superficial and transactional yeah right? exactly it's like are you a number to them or are you a person to them right right i think you, you brought up a really great point there and i, I would say that's one of the keywords of the day empathize right it's something that you've brought up, I believe, in one of your posts. And that's something I think is so relevant um, across the spectrum. It's not just B2B marketing. I mean, you mm-hmm. hear it. You hear it when people are talking about design thinking, about uh, product design and development, because if people are unable to empathize with that end user, that person that's ultimately going to use that product or service, yeah. right, how are they going to get it right? Mm-hmm. Right? Great. Um, so... You've you've been in the field for a bit, so I I, I would assume that you've you, you've seen a couple of um uh, things out in the front, right? Um, <laughs> so what what do you what do you think are some of the most common mistakes um that you've seen B two B organizations make? Hence the need to humanize their brand, and and how do you think that they can um address these issues? 
Yeah. So I'd say the first one along the lines of empathy is, you know, it's like, do you truly know and understand your audience? Like, yes, you might know the role that they have, their company demographics, how many employees do they have in their industry? But what makes up the personalities of the individuals in those roles? What draws them to the companies that they work at? And the only way that you can do that is by talking to your customers. So understand what are some different interests, you know, people like you and I, we're probably a little bit more interested in data than people that are in a sales role. And you can probably find some trends like that to play into your overall messaging. So understanding their interests, their quirks, different things like that, and then tie that into your brand or at least how you approach that specific segment. And then use that when you communicate out to them. So use that in your ad copy, use that in your emails, use that just in day-to-day conversations with them. Let them know you understand them, how they think, what they're focused on. Because if you start throwing around words like ROI and revenue to a data scientist, they're probably not going to care too much. So, I mean, how do you relate to them and, and have a conversation about something that matters to them? That's absolutely right. And you, you know what? You, you gave me such a great segue there into the next question, because <laughs> <laughs> now that you've seen the most common mistakes out there and how they should be addressed, can you give an example now, be it from your own professional experience mm-hmm. or something you've seen out there in the market? Um, either one is fine. But give an example of where you've seen a B2B organization, a witness positive changes because they humanize their brand. Yeah. So I'd say for me, this one, the first one that came to mind was Drift. Um, so I think when they started out, they did a great job of differentiating themselves a little bit more. I mean, they were in the chatbot industry. There's lots of chatbots out there that you could choose from. So they could have it be an automated AI chatbot that comes across sounding very Terminator-like and robotic, or you could inject some personality into it, toss a couple emojis, and all of a sudden, like someone's like, oh, oh man, there, there's a person that developed the communication behind this. It's not just... AI talking back to me, but there's a coder behind it who understands how do people communicate. So one of the things that really solidified that for me was I went to their conference a few years ago back when traveling was a thing. And they very much showcased their personality at this conference. They wore hoodies. They were bumping hip hop by a live DJ during the breaks. I mean, they were doing things that were just different than you would expect. And also, their product isn't cheap. Their market is decision maker marketers. So those aren't necessarily going to be things that you would think. You're, you're probably like, oh, these are these are people that are need to make big ticket purchases and are high up in an organization. We need to be buttoned up wearing suit and tie. It's like, no, a lot of them pretty well came from where you're at right now and would much rather be in a hoodie listening to some 90s hip hop. So they they understood their market and they did a good job of just being who they were and not a apologizing for it and basically you know you you loved them for it or you you didn't like it for it but it i don't think that that risk had as many issues as most people would think if they do show a little personality i mean i don't see anyone saying i'm not gonna go and get drift because they like hip-hop music i mean that would be absurd if someone said that you know so i think that that's an example where me for me where it solidified have a personality have some fun at work you're doing this for multiple hours every day you might as well Absolutely. Absolutely. That, 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 that's such a great example. And I think it just goes to show that, um, that there is this trend and it's, it's been, it, it's been going on for, I would say a bit longer than we would, we would expect, but it's, um, it's companies like Drift and others that are pushing back against these, um, I would say this, these accepted norms or, or, mm-hmm. or things that the establishment, uh, as we'd like to call them, have, have set forth and said like, okay, this is, well, this is the way it's supposed to go. 
And, you know, clearly not just because of the pandemic, but because of all these like these shifts within our respective B2B industries, right, that have been happening for a while. I, I suppose the uh, the pandemic just accelerated that um, considerably. So you've yeah. had about five years of changes within the past 12 months. Right? Exactly. <laughs> definitely shifted some things around. Sure did. Sure did. Um, speaking of drift, <laughs> like, I'd like to get your thought on something that um, I read online. And it was an article that um, on the uh, drift website. So, you know, like you said, big B2B company. Mm -hmm. um, and they wrote, um, you know, this article talks about like um, a couple of things that they they believe from their own experience um, B2B companies can do to humanize their brand. So the first one, which is no big surprise, is authenticity. Mm -hmm. I think we, 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 we hear that one often enough. Uh, number two is being personable. So like you said in the past couple of minutes, getting to know your audience on a personal level beyond the, you know, the standard information. Yeah. Um, opening up um, real photos of people versus just images of products or the inside of a facility mm -hmm. or a picture of an open laptop with data on it. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I see that way too often. I'm <laughs> laughing at you because I'm thinking every other ad is, but it shows our product. On pretty a much. It's like, okay. <laughs> pretty much. Um, and this, this is, um, the fourth one comes up a lot, going beyond the personas, right? So it's, um, okay, developing those target personas based on data and based on research, but what are you doing beyond that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the last one, which would seem like a given, but sometimes people do, do miss the mark there too, committing to the customers. So creating a seamless experience across the different platforms. Yeah. So what are your thoughts in the above? And is there anything you'd add? I completely disagree with all of it. Totally kidding. No, they're spot on. Um, <laughs> had you worry there for a second. No, I mean, it's it's all spot on. And it sounds like they pulled a lot of that from their use case, figuring out how did we make this work for us. And there's probably a list of things that we tried that didn't work. So authenticity, you know, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, people are highly attuned to you being real and fake. They are wary of businesses in the beginning. So just be authentic and sound like a human. You're going to get a lot further than trying to use a bunch of business jargon that means nothing to someone. Um, let's see, pers being personable. Let's say when you talk to your audience, when you know them at their personal level, their personalities, their values, you can translate that into the copy. So again, they're spot on here. I mean, nothing to push back at. Um, the opening up one was interesting to me. So using real photos of people. So we're in this new digital Zoom era. We're losing the ability to connect one-on-one -on -one with people at a personal level. You and I just had issues with video starting up on this. And it was because of my computer it didn't start up, but we didn't want to have the conversation until we could see each other face-to-face -face because there's yeah. so much that gets lost in translation if you're only doing audio. So much you need That's to right. see how people react. And there's so many other cues that you need to follow. And just having someone's face versus an avatar makes such a difference on something like a chatbot. So it's yeah. reminding you, hey, there's a person here. It's not just some robot that's talking back to you. Like there's a person that hopefully cares on the other side of this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, what was one of the others? Committing to customers. So I think an interesting thing with this is how does a user come away after they call in to talk to your sales team, or your support team. Mm -hmm. So I've got an example where we've got two dogs and there's a pet brand called Chewy. 
they start every conversation asking how my dog Bentley is. They know his name. They've got it written down in their, their software. I know that this isn't their CRM. And they don't all know my dog's name, but just that little touch of personalization and, and wanting to care to know that makes a big difference. And then randomly throughout the year, whether it's holidays coming up or some just random day of the week, we'll get a handwritten note from them just saying like, hey, thanks for being a customer. We really appreciate it. Here's a dog biscuit. Little things like that go such a long way. I mean, neither of those take or cost more than what, five cents to do, or sorry, stamp plus five cents for the dog biscuit. But that's going to tie someone so much more closely to your brand because they're investing in the relationship. And that makes you want to reciprocate back. And you know, there's other places that I could get my dog medicine and dog toys from, but I'm going to go back to them because they care. I can see the people behind it. And they clearly have the same passion for dogs, animals, you know, whatever the thing is that you're buying from, they're able to share that in a way that you can really relate to. So I think that that's something where you should think about that as a takeaway is, you know, take off your marketer hat and be an end user of your own product, service, whatever it may be. When you buy your product, what comes to mind when you think of your brand? I mean, if you perceive anything that you think needs improvement, you've already got a little bit of a bias there. Imagine how that comes across to a prospect because that's amplified. So I think that's a good reality check of, you know, gut check if, would you buy your own thing? Are you walking the walk and talking the talk? Or do you just kind of have some hopes and wishes that you could aspire to, but you're not executing on? That's a really great example. And I mean, you know, to your point about like, I think, uh, yeah, empathy is one, but putting yourselves in the, uh, you know, putting yourself in the customer's shoes and thinking like, okay, if I were in that situation, uh, what would I be looking for? How would I respond? What, you know, what, what are my expectations, all right, when I'm engaging uh, with this company and and what have you. And I think your, your story is uh, such a great example of like, you know, what happens in, in B2C. Uh, what what is easily what could be easily transferable mm-hmm. at, at least in concept um, in 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 the world of B two B and I, and I've got another story for you just another uh, just in the, um, just to drive that point even yeah. further home. Um, so again, this is back when we were all traveling and we were all flying in planes and what whatnot. I think it was twenty fifteen. So I was flying from um, Vienna to Helsinki in Europe. So go, going to Finland, and the stewardess was um, you know pushing the trolley in the middle of the aisle and just asking people if they wanted some refreshments, right? And she was saying it in English, in Finnish, in Swedish. And then she she got to me and she, she looked at me and we've never met each other before. And she said, Möchten Sie etwas zum Essen haben? Which is the German for, would you like something to eat? And I was a little bit taken aback at first. So, I, I mean, I responded, but it took me a while. And then, you know, and she just kept on going. And I'm like, well, how did she know that I speak German, right? She probably, they were probably trained to look at the, the, the passenger list and they looked at the nationalities of each of the passengers, right? And if their flight attendants spoke that language, even a little bit, right? Then they would make the effort to go and speak to that person in, in French or in Italian or in English and all that. And, and for me, that was like, to your point, that was such a little... For me, such a small gesture, but that spoke volumes about their dedication to customers. Yeah, no, 100%. I could not agree more with that. It, it's yeah. the little things that usually make the biggest impact. It's not, hey, we'll give you a 20% discount because we care. It's, right. hey, we, we noticed that you've got some German heritage. Like, I'd love to speak with you in your native language if that's what it means to just connect with you a little bit better. Like, that's what's going to go farther than shortening a contract price. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Hey, it's Christian Klepp here. We'll get back to the episode in a second. But first, is your brand struggling to cut through the noise? 
Are you trying to find more effective ways to reach your target audience and boost sales? Are you trying to pivot your business? If so, book a call with Einblick Consulting. Our experienced consultants will work with you to help your B2B business to succeed and scale. Go to www.einblick.co for more information. We're not going to talk about the pandemic, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, short of stating the obvious, uh, you know, you and I having this conversation on Zoom and we're doing a lot of uh, things online um, these days. But what when we're talking about like humanizing um, brands for B2B, um, what do you think are what are some of these changes that you've seen in the past 12 months or so? Um, as a result of the pandemic? And how do you think these changes will influence the way that B2B companies, I hope at least, will review and improve, um, you know, the way that they're, you know, uh, humanizing their brands moving forward? Yeah, it's definitely sped things up. Um, I'd yeah. say the biggest thing is it's it's really forced companies to rethink their digital presence. So we don't have events. Your sales reps aren't traveling to in-person calls. So those touch points are now going to be replaced with online interactions. So you could have had the best swag at events previously to get people to come by. You could have had a highly persuasive sales rep that once they get on site, they're able to close deals. How do you do that? How do you stand out and show that when you're online now? Or are you going to blend in with everyone else? So we found that you know companies that have their leaders adding to the voice, adding their voice, to the conversation are seeing growth at higher rates than those who continue to hide behind their, their company page. So that's a simple way of injecting a little bit more personality where, you know, you can take something like the, the rep that was great on site. How do you amplify his voice online to that same community? So he might not be going and selling to the VP of marketing anymore for his, his piece of MarTech, but he can start a community on a place like LinkedIn where he can share his thoughts. He can start conversations and bring in other like-minded individuals to really get things going. So I think that's been a place that's really differentiated some of the the companies that are doing well and embracing that versus some of the others that, you know, they're long established, they have their processes and CEOs, he's not interested in, in adding to that conversation. So it's a completely, it's a personal preference. There's no right or wrong. It's just a trend that we've seen in those that are exceeding expectations, that's a commonality where they're bringing the community to them when they can't go to the community at a conference. Yeah, it's certainly, um, it's certainly a bit of an art and a science, isn't it? Right? Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's no, there's no definite answer, at least, uh, at least from what I've seen, but there are some specific, like, uh, I would say, um, yeah, guidelines, uh, suggestions about how you can do it. But but certainly everybody, uh, like, to your point, it, it really boils down to, okay, what's that organization's culture like? What mm -hmm. are their long-term objectives like? I mean, is this even part of their overall game plan or not? Right? Yeah. And, 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 it, and it does take a little bit of a mindset shift, right? Because not everybody in the B2B world agrees that humanizing the brand is necessary, mm -hmm. right? Great. Um, this is one of uh, my favorite parts of the interview because this, <laughs> this is when a lot of the guests get up on their soapbox and rightly so. <laughs> um, commonly held beliefs, conventional wisdom. I mean, everybody has them. Every every discipline across the different um, spectrums, right, um, has them. But when it comes to humanizing or adding a human touch to B two B brands, um, talk to us about one belief in that field that you strongly disagree with and why. 
Yeah, this one's a fun one. Um, yeah. I'd say this is definitely more of a belief than a lot, what a lot of people will vocalize, but you'll see that a lot of people think if you have a point of view or an opinion, it's going to be unprofessional and it's going to lead to PR issues. So you can't do that as a company. You have to avoid everything, be very bland, vanilla, however you want to describe it. And I think a lot of this has to do with just the current day and age. We live in, for lack of a better term, an outrage culture where the 0.0001% of the population who has an issue or a problem with something, it's easy for them to share their thoughts in a public forum. And then that's going to get amplified by the platform, the media, or whatever to make you think that that belief is held by the majority of the population. But if you've done your homework, you should also know how does your audience really think? What does your ICP think? How is their personality? What do they value? And usually they don't have a big problem with your voice. I mean, if they're already bought in, they'll let you know. But there's a reason that they're called the silent majority. I mean, they're not going to speak out and be like, no, you're wrong for saying that. They're just going to sit back and be like, I don't have a problem with what they say. So that's what leads into, I mean, don't be scared to, to show some personality or have an opinion about something. Common sense will tell you when you should probably hold your tongue on a specific subject as you would just an individual. Like, I'm not going to have certain conversations with my CEO about a personal life. You should probably follow that same procedure with your company if you were to tweet or post about something, you know? So it's it's not as fine of a line as I think some people would have you believe in going back to that drift example. I mean, test it. Play some hip hop at your next conference and see if people like it, if they're bobbing their heads or if they're shouting an outrage, which I doubt they'll do. But until you know, you won't, or until you try, you really, you really won't know. And I think that that's something that the reward is so much greater than the risk that you're missing out if you don't at least give it a shot. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as they say, there's, um, I, I suppose you could say there's a time and there's a place um, for for those kinds of actions mm -hmm. and initiatives. And I guess I guess it is also about timing. But but to your point, it's also about like, OK, um, you're constantly holding back and not and not taking the first step and you're waiting to see what happens. Uh, mm -hmm. That's probably not the right move either, especially now, especially in a competitive marketplace. Yeah. Right. Fantastic. Um Right. And leading on from that question, um, talk to us about one thing that you think people should start and one thing that people should stop doing when it comes to improving and humanizing their B2B brands. Yeah. So this one ties into kind of just how how is the buyer's journey, the purchase process changed in recent years? So to start, I would say start sharing more educational and free content. People are going to associate your brand as helpful. They'll remember you for the topics that you associate yourself with. But if you continue to go with the outdated model of, hey, we've got all this great content, we have this super insightful resource that you need to download, but you have to fill out this 10-step form, 98% of your traffic isn't going to fill out that form. They're going to bounce. They're not going to remember your brand. They're going to have no idea what the content is that you hold that's going to unlock all the mysteries of solving their business. So if you open that up, I mean, 99% of your market isn't actively buying right now. So why would you want to withhold that in thinking of the long term when, hey, budget season's rolling around in four months. Let them consume the content. They'll come back when they're ready. So say 100%, without a doubt in my mind, I always say start sharing free content. There's no... like. Who does it really harm if you gate it or if you don't gate it? It's so easy. If you need contacts, you can go and buy contact email record from Zoom Info for next to nothing. So that's why I always say, like, what's the real reason that you need that email address? Or why don't we just play the long game and build out our audience and have more people who, when they do raise their hand, ready to sign up for a product or buy a product, they're going to go through the process a lot faster than someone who, yeah, I was curious about that ebook, but I'm not actively evaluating buying anything. It's, it's a waste of their time. It's a waste of your rep's time. And it doesn't create 
an overall a good relationship experience. So just let them come to you when they're ready. Amen to that, man. <laughs> and speaking of sharing uh, free and you know educational content, I, I, I believe your company is guilty as charged when it comes to that, right? Yeah, we uh, yeah. we drink our own Kool Aid. We we everything that we recommend to clients, we test ourselves first. We're not out here saying you need to try this. We think it'll work. It's it's tried and true methods that we've done, and it's like the the good leaders who wouldn't assign anything to any or delegate anything to people underneath them if they wouldn't do it themselves. So it's kind of a a similar process where it's like, we have the data to back why we want to make this decision. So hopefully you understand and are willing to try that with us. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, 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 it's all about practicing what you preach, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So fantastic. Um, Sam, I mean, this has been a really fantastic conversation so far. I mean, so many great insights and uh, thanks for sharing those with us. And uh, yeah, please, do us, please do us the honor of um, introducing yourself and ponder me this. <laughs> you you got to tell us what a professional soccer player, a physical therapist and a psychologist have in common. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll tell you what I actually do first and then I'll tell you my, my pre-career aspirations Go. after that. Go. So professional career currently, as you mentioned, so I work at Refine Labs. I'm a director of demand generation there. Basically, we help B2B SaaS companies transform their demand marketing programs by focusing on what matters, revenue, with the way that buyers actually buy today. So just helping to get them into that new model. As for personal aspirations, so yeah, you mentioned all those in the beginning. But yeah, when we all, what is it? It's usually in high school, we have that fun. What's your career aptitude test? Like, what should you be doing for a job? Right. So my big ones were always, I played soccer through college, so pro soccer player would be phenomenal, but I'm not part of the 0.00001% that make it to that level. So I had to give up on that one pretty quickly. I'm big into health, fitness, how the body moves. Physical therapist would be pretty cool. Yeah. Or psychology. So I ended up minoring in psychology after my um, department head was like, hey, if you take one more psychology class, you can get a minor in it. I enjoyed going to those classes. They were interesting to me. Mm. So how does that tie into director of demand gen for B2B SaaS, right? Like that doesn't really have a... Oh, it's a logical step, isn't it? (laughs) You you would think so. I mean, I love playing soccer while I talk B2B SaaS. Um, But no, it led to three kind of big findings for me. So the first is teamwork and discipline. So that's going to lead to a lot of success in soccer. If you get along with your teammates, if you get along with your coach and you're disciplined to get the job done, you're going to see success. 100% translates to any role, any job, you know, understand what you need to do and work with the different teams, sales, mm-hmm. customer success, customer support, or the clients that you work with, that's going to dictate if you're successful or not. Right. Um, physical therapist. So this one was an interesting one because of personal experience. So in high school, I had a stress fracture in my lower back. Oh. I found this out because I obviously had a lot of pain in my back, but I went to the doctor and they're just like, hey, stand in front of me. So I'm standing in front of him. He looks down at my legs and he goes, do you notice how your right knee is sticking out a little bit? I go, yeah. He goes, that's because your left leg is sucked up a half inch higher into your hip, which has caused the stress fracture in your back because it's compensated. So that's why I say, how do you tie finding problems and delivering solutions into that? So understand the root cause of something. You know, Mm -hmm. if he was able to see the hip is what's causing the back problem because of the way that my leg sucked up higher. If we can get that addressed, your back's going to feel a heck of a lot better. I'm focused on, okay, I need to ice my back and make it feel better. So how do we get to the root issue? And that's kind of similar to marketing where 
How do we figure out what do we really need to drive as a company in terms of revenue? What's the goal? And how do we work backwards from that? Mm-hmm. And then psychology, empathy. So there's a big link between that. I mean, as we mentioned earlier, put yourself in just other people's shoes, feel what they feel, understand what's it like to buy your product. You'll get a lot further if you talk to your customers and just evaluate as an end user instead of, hey, our product's great, you should come buy it. And I'm just going to set up this perfect landing page experience with a red CTA because that's what data suggests is going to lead to the best conversion rates. Right, of course. (laughs) You you have to put yourself in their shoes to understand what's successful because things aren't going to translate by role, industry. There's so many factors, but if you just talk to the people and and, you know work with them, you'll get a much better insight than any data-backed report you'll ever find. Yeah, yeah. First of all, that was a fantastic background story, and, and, <laughs> and I love I loved how it all somehow interconnected. Right, so you got the um, wait, let me see if I got it right. Teamwork, um, finding the root cause of the problem, and mm-hmm. empathy. I mean, exactly transferable skills, as you said. Right, so fantastic. Um, thanks for that. Um, so, what's the best way for people out there to connect with you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, as I mentioned, I, I like to post semi-frequently on LinkedIn. I usually try to get two, three aughts out every week. So you can find me on there. He's being very modest. (laughs) Thank you. But um, as you called out earlier, I have a very unique last name. So if you just search me, Sam Keenly, Refine Labs, it's very easy to find my profile. There's not too many with Sam Keenleys out there. So I should pop right up to the top. And I love having just conversations and comments. If you have questions, thoughts, anything that I can do to help, please feel free to reach out or engage. Fantastic. Sam? This has been an incredibly informative session. So thanks again for your time. But man, I am not going to let you go so easily. <laughs> you know that you're going to have to answer a question about European football or, oh, or, or yes. soccer, right? So particularly around uh, Liverpool FC. Mm. So um, buckle up. Here we go. <laughs> so rumor has it that the club is close to signing a deal with RB Leipzig center back Ibrahima Konate. What are your thoughts on that? Mm anything at this point we're so injury plagued that <laughs> i mean we're down to people that are in the reserves are playing half the time so if they've got the money to do it they just have to think long term how's that going to play out if they are they going to do a lease are they going to do a multi-year agreement so mm. i mean they've got they've got a good back line when they're all healthy so is that going to mess with the chemistry or not but for short term they're sitting there for being top of the table last year and now where they're at I mean, they're in a they're in a tricky position to get some wins. Absolutely, absolutely. I appreciate your opinion. I'm going to run it past Jurgen Klopp. Right? <laughs> <laughs> He'll probably uh, have a much better thought than I do and articulate it well, well beyond what I just did. Indeed, indeed. Um, Sam, once again, thank you so much. Um, take care, be safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun. All so, right, take care. Hope you have a good one as well. Bye. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the B2B Marketers on a Mission podcast. To learn more about what we do here at Einblick, please visit our website at www.einblick.co and be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player.